Now we're going to talk about today, since this is the last class before that, is we're going to talk about this morning is intercession. It's the last class before intercession. Um, and so I'd like to discuss it. Now, let me tell you in advance. I'm not going to discuss whether you should or shouldn't go away. I'm not going to give my opinion. And the truth is, my opinion right now really doesn't matter because either you have your tickets or don't have your tickets. So it doesn't really matter at this point what I think on that matter. But this discussion is also relevant whether you are or are not going away. Some schools have intercession starting next week, I think the 19th. There are some schools that have intercession a week after. And so we want to discuss that time period during the calendar. You know, there's some people who think like Aruba. I got two different opinions about this place. I was never there, so I know nothing about it. But for some people, it's like, oh, it's terrible. Everyone goes to Aruba, horrible. And other people are like, what do you mean Aruba is so great? Aruba is what it does, and the boy, and my son, and he met his wife, and she met his wife. I don't know what they've seen. So some people think Aruba is a problem. Some people think Aruba is a holy place. I have no opinion on the matter. Or at least I'm not telling you my opinion on the matter. Let's put it that way. I have an opinion, but I'm not saying. But we're going to discuss, again, wherever you go, if you go, if you don't go, or wherever you go, we're going to talk this morning. Now, a few, uh, last week I was talking to a father of a teenage boy who is having trouble, I don't know, financial trouble, regular, nothing really, really out of the ordinary, and he's very stressed. So I asked him, I said, you know, to tell you the truth, a lot of people I talk to these days are stressed out. I said, why do you think people are stressed? So he said, and I think I agree with him, he said there's two reasons. Number one is the economy is rough. And so no one has the same amount that they used to. And number two is technology. And I believe that too, that technology has made us much more dizzy than we used to be. And I think that stress has caused, or one of the greatest casualties of that stress is our children, is that the stress that parents, that mothers and fathers feel, the anxiety, the business, the financial, whatever the story, somehow seems to take its greatest hit in our children, where maybe you can take a rough patch of a rough five months or a rough five years, but what can sometimes happen when you come out on the other side is your children take a hit that lasts a lot longer than that. And so this is what we're going to talk about today. And we'll get back to intercession. We're going to talk about today is our children. And we're not going to get to the parashah till later on in the class. But I believe this class and this discussion this morning, although like I said, I may not be perfectly prepared as usual or as best as I could be, but I'm going to try to have what I think is still a very, very important discussion anyhow. You know, during the time of the first, end of the birth, first Beit HaMikdash, and in the exile, actually, there was three men. Do you ever hear of these three great men? Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. You heard of these three men? These are three men who were taken by the king, Nebuchadnezzar, and they were thrown into a fire. And the Navi tells us they were in a fire, Nebuchadnezzar tried to kill them, and they survived the fire. And this is one of the classic stories, one of the most classic stories in the Navi. We mention it even on Yom Kippur. God save us the same way you save those three great men from the fire. This part of the story, when I mention it to you, a good portion of you have heard this story. There's another man that I'm not sure anyone here ever heard of. And that is a man named Yehoshua Kohen Gadot. Yeshua Kohen Gadol was another man who lived at the same time who was also saved from a fire. 
Anybody here ever hear of Yehoshua Kohen Gadol? I'm not talking about regular Yehoshua. Yehoshua Kohen Gadol. Let me tell you the story behind this man. And the Pesukim that tell it are very cryptic. And I'm going to tell you a few of them. It's going to a little bit, you're going to say, what's he talking about? And then we're going to give you the background to the story and understand the story and understand why it's very important for what we're talking about today. The Pasuk says that this man, Yehoshua Kohen Gadol, was standing before an angel of God. And the Satan was standing on his right trying to harm him and trying to hurt him. And Hashem said, or the Malach said, why are you trying to hurt this man? He was a man who was saved from a fire. So the Satan stopped fighting. And it says, the Satan says, but he's standing in front of you with dirty clothing. He's standing in front of you with dirty clothing. And so the Malach said, let him change his clothing and put on good clothing and he'll be okay. Again, you have no idea yet what I'm talking about. None. Malach, the Satan, why are you trying to hurt him? He was thrown into a fire. He was saved from a fire. He has dirty clothing. Now he changes his clothing and now it's good. What is the Pesukim talking about? What's the story behind it? I guess we really, really underestimated you people. Really, really, Hazak Baruch. It's really, uh, the truth is, it's amazing. We really did, even as of this morning, weren't 100% sure we should do the class or not. I can't believe it. Okay. You know what I think also? I think we're so excited that we had a snowstorm that we actually beat. We got out, we have, we're driving, we're rolling, we're fine. I think we're all excited about it. Right? Get in your car, it's a regular day, that's it. Okay, now. The story, the way the Gemara describes it, is as follows. The story is that, you know, back in the time of the Beit Dash, there were prophets. There were good prophets and there were evil prophets. Now, the evil prophets really didn't have power, but what they would use is, is they would claim they were prophets to manipulate people into doing things they wanted. So there were two men, very, very evil men. And they disguise themselves as, I don't know if it's therapists or gynecologists, but they disguise themselves as people that can help women. And so women would come and meet them. And then they would give them all kinds of prophecies that they claimed they had, totally hocus pocus, that they claimed they had, in order to get the woman to do improper things. This is what they were disgusting to, disgusting men. One day, a girl walked into their office. The girl was the daughter of Nebuchadnezzar, the king. Nebuchadnezzar was not a good king. But his daughter came to these two prophets for help and advice. And so the prophets basically said to this girl, who was a beautiful girl, that one prophet said, that God just told us that you have to marry my friend. And the friend said, and God told me, that after you marry to me, you have to marry the first fellow. That's what they told the girl. Now the girl said, something here is very, very fishy. So she went back to her father, who was a Gentile king, to ask him, Nebuchadnezzar, Daddy, you know, I just went to the doctor... This is what they told me. This is what these prophets, Jewish prophets, told me that I need to do to be healed. Father says, this doesn't sound right. I know the Jewish people. One thing, they are is moral people. So he called three men. The three men who we had thrown into a fire and were saved and lived. So he had great admiration for these men. Chananiah, Mishael, Azayah, these three men. And he said, this is what the prophets are telling my daughter. What do you think? Hananiah, Mishael, Vazayah says, God, there's no way that God said this or God is behind this. Absolutely, it's false. So he goes and he calls the prophets to his palace. Tells the daughter, go back, ask their advice, tell them your father wants to see you. 
So they came to the palace. They show up at the palace. The king says, you know, you're telling my daughter this. Hananyami telling told me the opposite. He says, so the prophets say, no, no, no. He's a prophet. They're prophets. But we're also prophets. So maybe you, they think they're right. We're also right. God just didn't tell them yet what he told us. So Nebuchadnezzar says, fine. If you believe that you're right, I have no problem with this. I tested those three men. So I'll test the two of you too. Now, the two of them are going to be tested to be thrown into a fire. Now they're grasping for straws. So one of them say, you know what? It's not fair. Because there were three and we're only two. So he says, okay. You choose anybody as your third person and the three of you are going in. So they tried to come up with the holiest man they could come up with. Yehoshua Kohen Gadol. Yehoshua the Kohen Gadol was known to be a tremendously righteous man. Nebuchadnezzar calls him down. The three men are thrown into a fire. You already know the ending of the story because I gave it away in the beginning. Yehoshua Kohen Gadol survived. The other two men did not. Because Yehoshua Kohen Gadol was a very righteous man. But Yoshua Kohen Gadol's clothing were burnt. He didn't get killed, but his clothing did get burnt. So when he came out, the Gemara says there's a problem. Hananiah Mishav survived, came out perfect. Yoshua Kohen Gadol was also a great man, but he came out with burnt clothing. Why did he come out with burnt clothing? So here's the key. The Gemara says, because his children were no good. And because he had children that married improperly and his children were no good, God said, you are not perfect. I don't care how great you are. I don't care what kind of unbelievable leader you are. Your clothing is getting burnt because your children are not good. And so that's why when he was standing there, the Malach, the angel of God, was trying to save him. The Satan was trying to kill him. The Satan said, kill him because his children are no good. Kill him, kill him. The Malach said, what do you mean? God just saved his life. God wants to save him. How could you kill him? The Satan said, but his clothing are dirty. What's his clothing? His clothing are dirty. His clothing are burnt. What does that mean? His children are no good. And so that's why I think I have a right. And the Pasuk says that he switched his clothing, which means he fixed his children. And so that's why he was okay. Rabbi Pinhasi, who's a great rabbi in Israel today, brings this story in his sefer, and he says, you know, you learn a very important lesson from this. I don't care who you are. I don't care how great you are. I don't care how busy you are. I don't care how important you are. I don't care what you're saving the world. It doesn't replace what you do for your children. And now this may sound like the most obvious and simplest concept, but it's not. Because way too often, way too many people are way too busy and way too stressed, and they're busy on a million things. And somehow, their 14-year-old son gets lost in the shuffle. And somehow, they don't have simple time for their 12-year-old daughter. And so the pasuk here is trying to tell you, I don't care if you're a shuak gadol. You're righteous enough to be saved from a fire. If your children aren't good, it's your fault and you're getting blamed. And the truth is, I know that I have, let me, a lot of people came in the middle. Let me clarify what we're talking about. And we're talking here about, we said we started the class to discuss intercession. But we're really more talking about our children. Now, I think at this point, some of you are about to say, what do you mean? You're blaming me for everything my kids do? Hold on. Relax. We're going to finish. Okay? Someone told me yesterday, he said, Rabbi, we come to your class because we get one hour a week of free therapy. <laughs> so, it's, there wasn't, I don't know if that was the intent. But to tell you the truth, you know, we have, and this is something I know, you know, as a rabbi, you get involved in a lot of things. And very often when you get involved in a lot of things, the thing that seems you take most for granted is your family. And it's very hard sometimes 
to remember and make sure that they come first. And in fact, I think Hashem once sent me a little message. I, have, I live far from where I pray on Shabbat. I pray in Mag and David on Shabbat morning. It's a mile away from my house. So I have a system with my son that, you know, when I'm in shul, I'm obviously very distracted. I have to be the rabbi and give classes and speeches. So my son, we have a rule that when we walk to shul and when we walk back to shul, I walk home with nobody besides him. That's our rule. Every now and then, I'll walk a block or two, but most of the way, it's only with him. Sounds nice, right? This was a nice rule. A little while ago, there was a man in the shul who needed me very much. And he started becoming very dependent on me, and he started walking with me, and then he started walking a block, and the next week it was two blocks, and then four blocks, and he's walking six blocks. So my son has his little hint, which is he squeezes my hand. Okay? <laughs> So I'm getting a squeeze, I'm getting a squeeze, and I'm getting, uh, ah! and I'm like, my, don't say a word, don't say a word. And then the guy started walking me all the way home. So now my poor son was disappointed, right? And this week after week, it started to happen. Once, and now, what am I supposed to tell? It's very hard challenge. What am I supposed to tell the guy? Go home, get out of my way. My, I, it's a very hard thing to say. So it went on for week to week. Till one day, the man didn't pray with me. And a couple of weeks later, I saw him, I said, where were you? He says, my four-year-old daughter has to go to shul, and so I have to take her to shul. Some story like that, therefore I can't pray with you, I have to pray a different minyan. I never heard from the man again. Eight months, haven't seen him once. I thought I was saving his life. The guy was dependent on me, and using me, and asking me, and everything... Next thing I know, he's gone. No, no, I mean gone, oblivion. Not like a text message, Hi, Rabbi, I haven't seen you in a while. Absolutely zero. I think Hashem was sending me a message that I don't care who you think you're saving. I don't care how many people you think you're doing. Nobody comes before your son. And the truth is, this is very important. It's the most simplest and obvious concept in the world. But there are so many people, women and especially men, who don't do this. Who forget to spend simple time and to focus enough and undivided real attention to their children. And the truth is, years later, you turn around and you regret it. Because all you have in life is those little moments. And last night I had a cute one. I was sitting, I had, now I don't do this a lot because I'm pretty busy, but last night I thought I'm not giving a class today, so I was relaxed. You know, they tell you 20 inches of snow, four, so I said, okay. So I said, I put my two sons, little guys, to sleep. One's six, one's four. Okay? These are not the guys coming to shul. The two guys, so they're talking, and the older one asked me, he says, Daddy, how old are you? So I tell them my age. So the young, older one tells the young one, Daddy's not six. He's 36. See, so now you know my age. So now, he says, let me explain to you, Shaul, 36 is one, two, three, four, five, six. As he's counting, I'm like, wow, like I'm an old guy. So my youngest son is not fully grasping the whole thing. So he just turns to Daddy. He says, Daddy, are you 100? <laughs> and the truth is, that moment, that's what you got. That life doesn't get, you don't really get much more than that. And when you don't spend the time to make sure to focus on them, everything else comes and goes. All the things you're involved in, the money, not the money, all those very important things. Nothing replaces what you do for your children. And the Pasuk says that Sadiq Katamar Yifrach, a righteous person, grows like a, like a date tree, which is tall. It stands tall like a cedar tree. A righteous person grows like a tree. But evil people grow they grow like grass. What's the difference between a tree and grass? The answer is this. A tree takes a very long time to grow. A tree, you put in the seed in the ground, and you don't see anything for a while. And the tree takes years and years and years, but once it grows, it's solid. Grass, you put the seeds in the ground, two weeks later, you see the grass. 
And so right away you think, wow, I got results. Looks good. But yet grass is nothing. Grass is something you step on it, it breaks. You step on it, it's gone. Children are the same way. Raising children isn't just like grass. It's not just a few seconds. It's not just a little effort. It's real hard work. It's real hard, long work. Without results very often for a very, very long time. This is the challenge that I think a lot of us don't understand. Is that we think we can raise our children pretty easily. We can raise our children by, you know what, they're crying, put them in front of television. We say, you know what, they need something, buy them something, they're happy. The kid's older, get them a car, take them on a vacation. And we did our thing. That is absolutely not the case. And this is what we're talking about today, is the fact that many parents think that they can do easy parenting, or relatively easy parenting. They can give their child something, or pay them something, or buy them a gift, or take them away, and they did their parenting job. What do you mean? I'm not a great parent. My son has his own room. What do you mean I'm not a great parent? My daughter has her own line and she has a Blackberry ready. What do you mean my son not a great parent? My son's 17. On his birthday, I got him a car. How could I not be a great parent? I take my children away for Sukkot and intercession, Pesach, and I go to deal in the summer. How am I not a great parent? The answer is, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that easy. You can't just shove something in front of their face and call it parenting. Parenting is... And parenting takes what I think is the number one and most important thing a parent can give is give their children time. It's to spend real time with your children. This is a very novel idea because a lot of people don't do this. Really spending time with the children. It doesn't mean you come home and see them and then put them in front of the TV. It doesn't mean that you take them somewhere and then pay for it and that's good enough. No, real, hardcore, honest time with your children. Do you understand how bad the parenting has gotten and how challenging our children have become? And I think it's because we've been able to do certain things to solve the problem faster. You give your kid Xbox. That's all you have to do. You could either do work yourself. Back in the day, they did work. Now you give them an Xbox, and that's called parenting. And you understand that you realize how bad and how fast the world has changed. And how fast is a famous, I think this is famous, from the public schools. They tell you the difference between the public schools, the top six challenges or seven challenges that they face. You've heard, some of you for sure heard this before. The top seven challenges that they faced in public school in 1940 and the top seven challenges that they faced in public school in 1990. You ready? Here we go. Top seven challenges of 1940. Number one was talking out of turn. Number two was chewing gum. Number three was making noise. Number four was running in the halls. Number five was cutting in line. Number six was dress, cro- dress code infractions. And number seven was littering. How about in 1990? You ready? You want to hear 1990? Number one, drug abuse. Alcohol abuse, number two. Number three, pregnancy. Mabruk. Number four, suicide. Number five, rape. Number six, robbery. Number seven, assault. You never heard this before? Okay, I guess uh, now you're glad you did, right? This is the change that the world... And you know what's happened? It doesn't make sense, but to tell you the truth, it doesn't make sense because life has gotten much better. Life has gotten much easier. We have more money. We have more luxury. We have more things so how come our kids are so much worse? It's 50 years apart. It's like not like a little worse. It's like two ends of the world. It's not going back 2,000 years ago. It's just 50 years apart. How could that happen? The answer is that all those things hurt us. Because all those things became excuses for parents. I could do this. I give my kid an Xbox. Give him a PlayStation. Oh, he's upset. Buy him an iPad. I take care of him for hours on end. Put him on the computer. And I did my thing. Take him to Aruba and say hi on the flight on the way home. That's what a lot of parents do. And it's the truth. If they go, they take their kids. I spent $15,000, Rabbi. What do you want from me? $15,000 you put in the garbage. Because you took your children and you didn't see them the whole time. 
You sat there, you put them on a beach someplace, they come to you for money, you give them money, then hopefully you see them at night before you go to bed, if you're a good parent, and if not, you don't even bother, because they're teenagers, let them do what they do, or else maybe you're even easier. You go to Florida, send them to Aruba, and that's your parenting. It's true. This is what happens. And we don't give our children real time. We think parenting is easy. You think parenting grows like grass. You can't grow children like grass. You put a couple of seeds in the ground, water it twice, and call that growing. No, no, no. Children grow like cedar trees. They take effort. They take time. Now you're starting to agree with me on what I'm... Do we, anyone here disagrees? By the way, I was never in Aruba in my life. Am I getting it right so far? You get the hut at 6 a.m. and you're good. Right? So the, 5 a.m.? Okay, I'm sorry. I'll stay here and sleep till 8. The truth is that the Pasuk says, we, what time are we ending today? By the way, I can't believe, again, how many people, really, Hazaku Baruch again, I'm just amazed that basically we're almost like a regular crowd. Really, it's a snowy day, it's hard, really, really, Hazaku Baruch. But, for the next, uh, talking about vacations, I'm taking one. So for the next two weeks, we're off. Okay? Next week, the following week, we're off. Going to Israel was out there, That's a good vacation, okay? Nothing crazy there. But don't worry, I got it covered. My kids are staying home. So now, but we're going with Bezat Hashem. The next class will be February 2nd. You got that? It's two Wednesdays off. February 2nd. Wednesday, February 2nd. Please remember, put it in your head. There may be a text, there may not be a text. I don't know, but February 2nd, Bezat Hashem, is our next class. It says, so since we started late, let me just finish. What time are we ending? We started late, and if you want, you don't have to come back next week. So what time are we ending? <laughs> we'll end at... Not 1 o'clock. No, thank you. No, no, no. Uh, is 12.15 good? But that's real time. Not later than 12.15. Is that okay? Okay? Okay. I hope everyone agrees with that. Fine. Some people said fine. Some people might be nervous. There's no meters today. Is that accurate? So we're good. Oh, good. we could go to 1 o'clock. Okay, here we go. The Pasuk says, Yetze lev ha'adam ra mineurav. A person's yetzer hara, his evil inclination is bad from when he's a kid. Our rabbis say it doesn't even mean from when he's a kid. It means from before he's born. From when he wants to come out of his mother's stomach, the child has in it so many tendencies that are no good. So many moods, so many ups and downs, so many different character flaws. And the only way a parent can parent is if they spend time with their children through all those stages, through all those ups and downs. And if they're focused on them at every stage of the game. To give you another statistic, do you know that back in, I think it was, 1960, 68% of children had a parent staying home with them all day. What is it today? It's like 15%. 15%. That's, you know, I don't know, so we don't know where it's going. I understand we're making money. I understand we have to support these kids. Understood. But if those children are not getting the same time they used to get, those children are going to come out as casualties of our stress and casualties of our work. And we're working and we're doing and we're doing it just for them, we say. But if we're not giving them time, we are compromising our children. And you know, almost every time I'll talk to a parent that has a challenging child, and you'd be surprised, or you won't be surprised, everyone's got one. And almost every parent will start the conversation, or at some point in the conversation will throw out the line, well, you know, I know I made my mistakes, but whatever. I want to tell you something. Everyone made the mistakes. 
Every single parent in the world made mistakes, said the wrong thing to the child at the wrong time, out of mood, said something they shouldn't say, said something positive when they should have said negative, said something negative when they should have said positive, sent the kid to the wrong school, told them, directed him the wrong way, allowed him to be with the wrong kids, let him go in the wrong place. Every parent did that. But there's no excuse for not giving your children your time. That is not complicated. That doesn't take rocket science to figure out your children need your time. And they need you with real attention focused on them. So what I'm going to do for the next few minutes in the class is give you four examples of where I think sometimes we have challenges towards this goal of giving children their proper time. And what I think if we focus on it, it's simple focus can become, make it a lot easier. Because time usually doesn't cost that much money. If you understand how important it is, you'll do it. Number one is men. As I think a lot of you are thinking to yourself, I really do give my kids time. But now I want you to think, does your husband? And that answer is not quite the same. Because your husband is coming home late, and he's stressed out of his mind, and he gets home, by the time he gets home, he just wants to eat dinner and sit on the couch, and he doesn't really have time to sit and focus with a child. And finally, Shabbat comes, and he's totally wiped out, he's falling asleep at the table, Shabbat afternoon, maybe he gives you an hour with the kids, then he's going to shul, and then he's going to class, or then he's going to the gym, and then he's watching the Jets, and before you know it, your children, the whole week and the whole month and the whole year goes by and your children get barely any time. Listen to this statistic. The average American child spends seven hours a day, they say, watching television. I guess it means a young child. Sounds like a lot. But seven hours a day watching television and five minutes with his father. Five minutes. And the truth is, think about it. It's the truth. It's not some random house in Kentucky that that's going on. It's going on in your house. It's going on in regular, normal houses with healthy homes, with healthy parents, good people. The man, just how much time does he spend with his six-year-old son? I'm sitting here preaching and talking. That little conversation about me being a hundred was basically the whole conversation, the almost the whole thing that I had with my son last night. That's the truth. On a night that I wasn't busy. That's the truth. We all do it. All men are like this. We're stressed, we're tired, we're wiped, we're overworked, we're overpressured, and because of it, we end up not having enough time. That's where you come in. Your job is to force your spouse, force him, to make sure he gives those kids the time. And the truth is, when I moved to Brooklyn, my wife said, Joey, I don't care how busy, how many classes, here's the deal. Every night, your family gets one hour. I don't care how many classes, you're not allowed to break that hour. And I basically kept it, without any squeezing, basically kept it, and the truth is it makes a dramatic difference. I remember even a few weeks ago, the snow we had, I almost come home, always come home too late and leaving this and that. We had, we had nowhere to go, you couldn't move. So we had dinner together as a family. Me, my wife, and my kids all around the table, I was like, wow, this is like a novel idea. And I said to myself, you know, when I was a kid, we did it almost every night. And now, it's some, like, it was like, I couldn't believe it. And the truth is that that has to happen. That time where the man spends time, not just the woman, but the man spends time with his children, looking into their eyes, seeing what's bothering them, listening to them, hearing their whole nonsense in their whole day, cannot be replaced by 14 Xboxes or 18 vacations. Number two, as it says about David HaMelech, that course Yeshuot Esa Ubeshem Hashem Ekra. David HaMelech said, I raise my cup to Hashem to praise Hashem about everything that happened in my life. I had a lot of troubles, but I always could call out to Hashem. David HaMelech had one of the hardest lives in Tanakh. And yet he wrote a book simply praising and praising and praising God. Praising and praising everything in his life was always great. Even though he was challenged in every which way. There's only one time that he really, really cried. And really, really felt extreme pain. 
And that was when his son of Shalom, his son who rebelled against him and went in a totally different path. That's when he said to Hashem, Hashem Mara Sarai, God, I can't take this pain. And the Gemara says that a pain like the battle of Gog Magog, Armageddon could come. And it doesn't compare to the pain of a child who leaves the house and goes in the wrong direction. And if anybody here ever has that, or if anybody here knows somebody who has that, you understand the extreme and the extent of that pain. And there are many families that have this with one of their younger children. Because what happens sometimes in a family is the parents are great parents. They're really, really good people. And they do it by the book and they went to classes and they parenting classes and they listened they did everything. They had five kids. For their first four kids, dinner was on the table every night when they came home. They sat with them and did homework. They did everything right. Now their fifth kid comes. And maybe the father is 62. Maybe the mother is 57. And now they're in, they own a house in Deal, a house in Brooklyn, and an apartment in Florida. Now, I have the apartment in Florida. You want me not to go? So now I have the apartment. We have Thanksgiving. We have New Year's. We have Xmas. We have um, President's Weekend. And we have the occasional time when wholesale is slow. And so we go away every other weekend for five, six days. And we're not bad. We're good people. We leave our son money and a chadame, and we have the house is taken care of, and our younger child doesn't get that attention. This happens in many, many homes. It's very challenging to have a child. It's very, very challenging to have a child who is younger when the parents are older. And the parents did a great job. And this happens, I can't tell you how many families I've seen this happen to, where the parents are good. It's just this kid... It's like, you know, all the first six kids, let's say. The first five were all born in a bunch. And the other one is four years younger. So now, what happens to parents? They are. What are you going to do? We did our, we paid our dues. We did what we have to do. And we're taking care of the child. This is very big challenge. And you have to recognize this challenge. That parenting means all the kids. All of them. If you had them, you're responsible for them. If you had them, you're responsible to raise them. And David Amel, and again, I'm not, I want this to be clear. I'm not saying, you know, this is not judging. And all these things, and the next two I'm going to say also, almost all of them are challenges that I myself, if I'm in the situation, and the same problem. Maybe that's why I understand what I'm saying and telling you this, is that it's simple. Almost all of us give more attention to our oldest than to our next ones, and more attention to the next ones, than to the youngest. This happens. It happens all over the place. It happens all over the community. It's normal. What we're telling you is, pay attention to it. A parent once told me, that they were in Florida, and they were having a challenge with their son. They flew back, in the middle of their trip, to come back for their child. That's what I'm talking about. That is admirable. That's a parent who understands that, you know what, this trip to Florida over Thanksgiving could wait five years. My son can't. Number three is, like the man I told you in the beginning of the class, like he said, I think technology has become a real, real problem. You know, I gave, and I mentioned this, where you all remember the BlackBerry class, right? You all remember the BlackBerry class. And I gave the black. If you don't remember the BlackBerry class, you don't even know my name. You know the BlackBerry class, okay? And to me, what was amazing to me about that class is I must have given the class over to like a thousand people—men, women, younger boys, girls—a thousand different people. And then the CDs went out, and I heard from a zillion people who heard the CDs. Uh, a billion people, a lot, a lot of people commenting about that class. And what I was expecting was that someone along the way would tell me, you know, Rabbi, what are you against technology? It's advancement. It's good. It's... I don't think I got one response like that. Instead, all I got was people telling me, men, women, older, younger, telling me, Rabbi, I hate this thing. I can't stand this thing. All it does is distracts me. It distracts my children. And over and over again, I'm like addicted to what I'm holding. The truth is, this 
has caused how many times where you sit with your family and you talk to your kids and all you say is, uh-huh. Like this. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, uh-huh. You know, mommy, I'm going to school tomorrow. I'm not going to school tomorrow. Someone died. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's what happens. And this is normal conversations all over the place. And it's very hard. And again, I'm not talking to you. I do it myself all the time. It's very, very, very hard to sit at home with your kids and put this away. Do me a favor. On vacation, can you do it? On vacation, can you steal your husband's Blackberry and return it to him at night? I'm serious. Steal it. Do something about it. And if he says, how could you do that? Tell him Rabbi Haber gave a head test. Okay? <laughs> and I'm serious. And I'll be gone for that week so you can't find me. But really it's true. Take it away. Put it away. Because you can't. Or if even every single night when you're spending that time, let it be undivided attention. You understand? To tell you the truth, I, I told you, you know, every parent could give their children time. To be honest with you, there are days where it's really not easy. There are days where it's really not easy to give your child a lot of time, especially for a man. But here's what is expected. That the time you give should be real quality. The time you give should be focused, should be eye contact. The time you give should be listening, really listening, not distracted. You know, I don't have a TV in my house, but last night I put my kids to sleep and I noticed something. That we have, they're, they're, they're asleep on the third floor, okay? So I noticed there's a pine building across the room that has a TV on. And I realized something. The TV is always on. Always. 6 a.m., 12 p.m., it's always on. Now, I don't know, always. It's just always, always on. I don't know if this is normal or not normal, but I think a lot of us have technology, and the way we do is just background music. Your, wife, your husband says he's looking at you, he's talking to you, he's watching the Jets, he has no idea what you said or what you did, doesn't care if you're alive. The Jets are playing. And the truth is that we have people that are sitting with text messaging in the conversation, and they're talking to their kids for the five minutes a day that they give their kids, and they're on the Blackberry three and a half out of those five minutes. So the time you give your child should be real. And number four is, I'm up against it, is, you know, the commentary... I have a question. When did we get the mitzvah of Shabbat? When did we get the mitzvah of Shabbat? And they have, there is a big, it seems to be from Rashi, it says, Sham Sam Lo Choku Mishpat, in a place called Mara, right after the sea was split, in this week's parasha, parasha Bishalach, it says God gave them laws, and one of the laws He gave them was the law of Shabbat. That's, and so it seems they got it immediately after the sea split. The problem is, it says in the Haggadah, if Hashem gave us the man, but didn't give us the Shabbat, it would have been enough. It would have been enough if He gave us the man and didn't give us Shabbat, which seems to say that Shabbat came after the man. And so the question is, when did it happen? Did it happen after the sea split? Or did it happen after the month? When did we get the mitzvah of Shabbat? So the commentaries say like this. Is that Shabbat has two parts. There's the laws of Shabbat. And then there's the gift of Shabbat. The laws of Shabbat we got after the sea split. The gift of Shabbat we got after the month. Because when the man came... And we had, people were going out to collect the man from the ground. God said, on Shabbat, you don't go. That law was a gift. That law wasn't a rule. That law was a gift. The laws of Shabbat, you know, when you first are introduced to Shabbat, you think it sounds restrictive. Once you really get used to Shabbat, it's the greatest gift man was ever given. And I say this, oh, that's what the Pasuk is saying. What we're saying is, if Hashem gave us the man, but didn't give us the gift of Shabbat, we would have been enough. Because the man, Shabbat, wasn't just a law. Shabbat was also a gift. And I tell you, I say this all the time. I don't think, after 120 years, I don't think I'm going to get rewarded for keeping Shabbat. I really don't think so. Because I don't keep Shabbat for God. I keep Shabbat for me. Shabbat is something that I enjoy so much. What? So there's an occasional restriction. I want to make a phone call. I want to turn on the radio. I'd like to drive somewhere every now and then and I can't do it. It's so minimal compared to the gift that I get back that is Shabbat. When I get a chance to sit around the Shabbat table and sit with your children and talk to your children and focus on your children, the gift is priceless. 
And I know you think that, oh, I have a Shabbat, be a rabbi, and I have like a nice Shabbat table, and everything's perfect, right? I do have. Every one of my kids has a role. One kid never says a Dvar Torah. The other kid's role is to call his sister weird within three minutes of the meal. <laughs> the other kid is the one who his role every single Shabbat tickles everybody's feet under the table. There's another kid whose job is 70% of her food hits the floor. 30% is on the plate. She doesn't eat anything. This, every kid has a role. But you know what? That Shabbat table is priceless. And the fourth and the greatest gift, when we could, you could have a crazy week. It doesn't take the place and it doesn't, still doesn't impact your Shabbat. On Shabbat, you can find time. On Shabbat, I don't care how tired, you can sleep, you can relax, you can spend time with yourself, but you could also spend time with the children. And so there's four concepts we gave you. Number one, that it applies to men, too. Number two, is it applies even if you're older and your children are younger. It applies to that kid also. Number three, is beware of technology, because it's trying to destroy your family. It is. And number four, is utilize the greatest gift we have, the gift of Shabbat. And you know, to tell you the truth, I'll tell you a story and then another story, okay? And I have three minutes to do both. There was, before I got married, a rabbi told me, he says, I'm going to give you a biracha that the Hazor East gave one of his students. He says, my biracha is that you should have so many children that your table should be upside down. So the student asked the Hazor East, he says, I'll take the kids. But why does my table have to be upside down for? Why can't I just, why can't you just tell me? I'll have many kids. He says, because if your table is not upside down, your kids aren't normal. And so my beracha is you should have many children, and they should be normal children. Normal children is, yes, a little chaotic, a little up and down, yelling and screaming and fighting and, and annoying each other and pinching each other and calling each other names, and you just want to get up off the Shabbat table and go to sleep. That's normal. That's healthy family. That's the beracha. When you go away, do me a favor. I don't know if you go to a $15,000 trip, $20,000 trip, or a $5,000 trip, or you can't afford to go at all. You could definitely afford to find some time for your kids. And I don't know where you are, it doesn't matter how much you spend, time, real time, the family, or one at a time, take a child, for, tell your kids, you know, you could run around the hall for three days, but I want my daughter for six hours in the afternoon, just me and you. Find every day one kid, give the kid that time, let the other kids run around, and give that kid, each kid, their own day where they get you undivided attention. You don't understand how important you are to your children. You know, the other day I was at a funeral, and the man gets up and he's speaking about his mother. I said, you know what, I realized every funeral you go to, the person or a son or child talks about their parent like they're unbelievable their whole life. You think that happened the day the parent died? The child felt that way the whole time. They just never said it, which means your children feel this way about you. So maybe they don't act like it, and they're annoyed, and what do you mean? I want to talk to my friend, and i got to get up the phone, and I, I don't, not, they don't seem interested. You are the most important people to them in the whole world by far. By far. There's not even a close second. And so understand that what they want out of you, besides all the things they want you to buy and the nonsense, the thing they want the most is your time. Undivided real attention. One more story and we're good? Okay. I apologize. Like I said, Bizat Hashem, February 2nd, we'll be back. This is a story about a man. A true story. And the man was a fairly busy businessman. And he had his son, and he always was careful to try to give his son time. There was one summer where he had to go away on business for practically the whole summer. And it was killing him. Six-year-old son is out, he's on vacation, it's the summertime, and he wasn't going to be able to be with his son the whole time. So the man went overseas, and his wife tried as best she could to send care packages every week and send little pictures of the children and her son and the daughter and so on. And he was trying to find ways to, like, you know, keep in touch and stay close to his son. So he came up with this idea. He sent his son a letter that when we get back, we're going to fly a kite together. And so he sent the letter. And then a week later, he sent the son something that he found, some wood for the kite. 
And then he sent his son some plastic they're going to use to make the cut. And then he found one day, towards the end of the trip, he was at the stop in Japan, and he found beautiful blue silk with gold threads. He says, this is perfect for the cloth of the kite. And he sent it ahead to his son for the kite. Finally, he arrives home, and he gets home into his son's room, and he walks upstairs, and he sees his son's room is spread all around with all the materials of the kite. And he goes to his son, he says, we're going to fly the kite, we're going to start building the kite together. And he says, yeah, daddy, I've been waiting. And they start putting together, the next few days, they start putting together the kite. Finally, the kite is made. And the son asks the father, he says, Daddy, are we going to fly it tomorrow? He says, we're going to try to fly it tomorrow if the wind is right. The father wasn't sure. He says, don't worry, Daddy, I'm going to pray for this. He says, Dad, can I sleep with the kite? He says, no, I'm afraid you're going to roll over the kite. So they made a deal. He's going to sleep with it on the chair next to the bed. The next morning, the boy woke up, came running into his daddy's room with his kite. We're going to go to the beach and we're going to try to fly the kite. They go and it's already full, so it's already coolish, he's not sure. They go, they get on the beach, and almost an instant, wind comes, and they're able to fly the kite, beautiful kite flying experience, great. Child puts the kite away. 20 years later, the father still made that time, and he used to every now and then go to eat lunch with his son. So one day, he's sitting with his son, and his son says, Dad, I want to show you some pictures of the kids of now his kids, the grandchildren. And he pulls out of his pocket the pictures and something falls out of the pocket. So the father bends down and he picks it up and then he looks at it and it's a piece of blue cloth with little gold stitching. And he hands it back to his son. He says, so you held this for 20 years. That moment that you could spend with your parent is priceless. Don't let the nonsense and the chaos and the pressure and the distractions, they're there now, they'll be there in 10 years from now and 20 years from now. They're never going away. So therefore, right now, find the time, that quality time to spend with your children. Thank you.